Good evening, everyone. This is Matt DeMarinas from White and Blue Review, joined once again uh, by Johnny Atawa from the Omaha World Herald, back from East Coast road trip out to Providence and St. John's. You brought home one win, probably the most important win, right? You think one for so? two, yeah, probably. Yeah. You don't want to. You don't want to lose St. You don't want to give them. John's, no. You don't want to get them off the schneid. So you got one win, brought one back. Uh, back in town for the pink out game. Creighton beats Georgetown, eighty-five. 77 in the 8th annual pink out game in front of the ninth largest crowd in Creighton history. Creighton men's basketball history. Yep. What was the final? 18-518. Yeah, great turnout tonight. Hot pink shirts, so it was very bright. Definitely. Very bright, so, yeah. um, but great turnout. Those things had, like, their own yeah. light-producing source, it seemed like. Because mm-hmm. they turned the lights off in the arena when the when the fan, or when the team was coming out for the first time and even for the starting lineups you didn't notice it yeah it kind of felt like i was like did they leave some lights on or what no it's just the pink shirts <laughs> reflecting that's or good. producing light like that's that's but no it's a that's a it's a fun day man. yeah it's always fun i, think, I don't know is fun I, the right word it seems fun honestly you know, it does kind of feel more like a celebration there's that moment um in the middle of the second half when you know um we stand and sort of remember and that gets honor a, that gets and, emotional and for that me. Gets, I know yeah. I don't know how like you, I, I, you handle it, but like that, that is it, it, there's. It's but not, the, I don't, don't want to say awkward, but like it get there's a point where if you have to stand up, there's always that point every single year where I stand up and I always feel like I'm the only one standing up, and that feels kind of awkward. But I know why I'm standing up, and you know uh, I understand the important importance of the day. Um, so I try to I hold it together pretty good. I haven't really been overwhelmed but yeah you know cancer is one of those things like whether it's breast cancer or any form really um it's 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 kind of hard to find somebody who hasn't been affected by it okay. you know whether they've had somebody they've lost or whether they've had somebody who you know battled it and survived um i my mom is a cancer breast cancer survivor uh i talked about it a little bit on shoot around so if you listen to that i don't want to repeat it for you but um so that was what I, I that I went through that when I was twelve. So that was you know tough, uh, you know your first kind of life test to see like, yeah, every, you know life is fragile, cherish it, you know. And then obviously, uh, Piv is the other person that I've known that's had cancer. Um, so I, I guess I'm lucky that I've only known two people that have had it. I know a lot of people have had, you know, some people had three and four names on their placards tonight. So, you know, it's a it's an emotional night, and then you forget that there's a. 40-minute basketball game going on, and, you know, it's an important game for both teams, that sort of thing. Like, it, it's hard to center in on on that sort of thing when, when, it, when it seems like the night is about something more important. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, I think the players kind of feed into that, too, because, like, they know they're wearing pink, and they got pink shoes on, and they see the pink in the crowd, and I think that the emotion kind of, fe- like, they can feel that as well. Mm-hmm. And... Even even those guys who are 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old uh, young men, like they've, cancer has touched their lives in, in some form or fashion for most of them. I imagine I mean, Marcus Foster briefly talked about his uh, his grandfather who passed away with lung, lung cancer. So, like, it was an important night for him. Like, he wanted to play well. And, and, and um, for stretches, they did. Absolutely. I, <laughs> they did. Hey, man, the, you know, the, the people... It, you know they, they got a more entertaining game than I think they were probably expecting. I mean, I don't. Vegas had the line. What did it close at twelve? Something like that. Yeah. So Jays minus twelve. I mean, it it definitely had moments in the game where it looked like Creighton was getting ready to pull away and, you know, kind of put it on ice. Uh, but Georgetown had one last, one last stretch of hot shooting from its role players. Marcus Derrickson got going, but it was it was a game that once again Creighton had to rely on its defense to close out a win. Um, yeah, but I think it was overall a pretty entertaining game. I thought a pretty well played game from both teams. I know there were a lot of turnovers, a lot of fouls. It got kind of clunky at times, but I thought it was a pretty well played game considering what each each side was trying to take away from the other. You know, I thought it was an interesting chess match between um, Patrick Ewing, Greg McDermott, and the and the players executing the game plans. At Georgetown, I mean, maybe it was just because it started so well. I think they made uh, – the Hoyas made seven of the first ten from three. Maybe that was the reason that they 
uh, were fully engaged and playing with a ton of energy because that was not the team that I saw in D.C. Okay. Um, they, especially their stars, their top guys, Govan and Derrickson, almost mentally checked out by the middle of the first half of that game, it seemed like, up in D.C. And Creighton this looked time, pretty good out there. Like that. They did. Toby and Yeah, because those, those threes, I think it was 14-3 mm-hmm. to three after like five minutes in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in this game, I think Creighton scored on his first four possessions. It was 8-3 to three yep. maybe early, mm-hmm. and the crowd was into it. There was a chance for it to have sort of a similar feel early on, but Georgetown didn't allow it to happen. Battleback tied it at 8 and then just kind of hung in till the end of the first half. They had a little scoring drought, but like, I don't know. I think um, even though Govan and Derrickson didn't get going in the first half, they were still they they didn't they didn't fold, and they got enough of a lift from players off the bench like Blair, um, in particular, who hit some threes early. He had kind um, of an Ethan Roggy like stat line. He had like fifteen <laughs> shots, twelve of them twelve threes. threes. Right. Come I didn't on. realize he shot twelve threes at the end of the game. I, I was didn't like, either. Holy moly! That's a lot. Um, but. They stay, yeah. They they just stayed engaged with the game, and um, I don't know if you should be giving them credit for that because that's kind of what you're supposed to do that as a basketball team. Yeah, but yeah, but uh, uh, maybe they maybe they surprised Creighton a little bit when when Creighton got up 16 and Georgetown called that timeout. I think uh, Ronnie Harrell had a really nifty. I think he crossed over like four times or something in the paint and got to the rim for he a three-point play. Put someone in the spin cycle like twice. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> and then uh, Mitch Ballack hit a three to put him up sixteen. And at that point, you're kind of thinking, all right, that cruise control. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I would imagine if the Jays were honest with us, that they'd probably admit that they felt that way too. Because if you're watching the game, that's what it felt like. Uh, but Georgetown fought back, and I thought got to the free throw line, um, and battle on the glass. I think they had seven or eight. Yeah, there were a few offensive rebounds in the second half. I mean, mm-hmm. they really um, they got after it in those and they just played harder. I think you asked Patrick Human after the game what changed defensively and he said effort and energy, a little bit more intensity. Mm-hmm. That showed. I mean, Creighton only had eight points in the paint in the second half after getting 20 in the first half and eight in the first four possessions. Uh, Georgetown did a good job of locking it up and sealing off and Kind of reminding, I think, Creighton fans, me, and probably I'm curious on your take here, but the, the Jays still are a little bit out of sorts here without yeah, Martin Crumple. Like, off, especially on offense, like, as as good as it looked for stretches in the first half, they, I mean, Marcus Foster is a big reason for that because he had 20 points in the first half and what was it, 8 of 10 shooting, mm-hmm. uh, burying tough threes, step back pull-ups, you know, all, everything in his arsenal. Let's he say, was feeling in, it. In, in his bag is what right. they say. Right. Yeah, so yeah. they shot 62% in the first half, but uh, I, I kind of just felt like it was – that's about as good as it's ever – oh, that's great. I mean, obviously, th- yeah. that you'd take that any day. Uh, but I don't know. It, it – it would, they they masked him. some flaws, I thought, in the first half by hitting some long-range jumpers, uh, by getting out and running, uh, maybe by getting to the free-throw line a little bit in the first half that were exposed a little bit more in the second half and have been exposed at times against St. John's and against Providence without Martin Kroppel in the lineup. So um, It's, it's going to be go interesting ahead. on the rewatch to see to see that first half because I'm really curious to see how much of the early portion was just Georgetown hitting tough shots versus how much of the second portion was Creighton contesting better, um, being more sound on the perimeter with, you know, with the guys that they knew that were starting to get going. Because there was, you know, Georgia, I mean, Creighton closed the first half on a 16 nothing run, so they were getting stops. But were they getting stops because Georgetown was missing the same shots they were hitting earlier, yeah. and it wasn't necessarily anything they did differently defensively, or I'm kind of curious to watch that first half again to see to see what, what changed. Did Creighton change, or did Georgetown just cool off? You know, law of averages type of Well, that 131 switch helped. Yep, that's true. You, uh, you noted that. Yeah. yeah, I think Max said something like it disrupted the flow or something along those lines. Of, it, it had an impact, a positive impact for, impact for Creighton. Just made, I think, made Georgetown work a little bit, and... and they obviously had a pretty good plan of how they wanted to attack Creighton's double teams in the post or they're fronting in the post and uh, with ball reversals or skip passes across to the other side and getting open shots. But um, that 1-3-1 one, one helped a lot, I think, just to cool them off. And then they had a trouble 
getting back uh, getting back going again. And you're right, though. I'm not sure at the end of that. At the I end, of the, they went five minutes without a field goal, and I wasn't sure what before halftime. Yeah. Right? It yeah. was that all Creighton. Was that just them? Um, I look at it and I see uh, one, two, three, four, five, six shots that were missed. Four three pointers, a, a mid range jumper, and uh, looks like a drive to the rim that was missed. So, I mean, jump shots. Yeah, they don't always go in, even nope. if you're open. So maybe that was it. But uh, yeah, I'm I, I'm curious though on, on offense. Like, what's your assessment of where Creighton is right now? I mean, th- it's still a work in progress, and they're going to have a couple days this next week to sort of, uh, you know, continuing continuing to tweak things and and to find what works for this group now that they don't have Martin. It's obviously a big blow to lose him. Um, what what kind of potential do you see from from this group? Uh, and, and I guess what's your What's your impression of the last couple games? Well, first of all, props to the both of us for going 11 minutes without mentioning Jacob Epperson's name. Um, <laughs> I think that's pretty good self-control on our part. So he, he did play tonight. The red shirt's off. He's officially part of the rotation. Um, we'll talk about him a little bit later. But uh, in in terms of your what Creighton's trying to do moving forward offensively, uh, I just asked Mac off to the side after the scrum the other day, are you working with a blank canvas at this point? Because when you – I went back and looked at every uh, lineup they used um, with Martin off the floor, with him healthy. Like, you know what I mean, when he yeah. just comes out for spells. Uh, versus what they use with Martin, just he's torn ACL, we don't have him anymore. And against Providence, they used – I believe they used 18 different – 18 lineups against Providence that they had never used – before sounds right, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like so, you f- I think they had 23 different lineups without Martin while he was healthy. Okay, yeah. And then against Providence, there were 18 different lineups right. used in that game, just now, without him at all. So that, that's say, a lot of tinkering going on right there. Right. You know the question, saying? but so. I will say foul trouble contributed to that. Sure. And I guess according to Mac, now you can argue that maybe he shouldn't have pulled the trigger so quickly, but poor play at point guard. Yeah, yeah. He was disappointed with those guys, uh, mm-hmm. Tyshawn Alexander and Davion Mintz in that game. But you're right. That game was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, where are these, where are these, yeah. yeah, who are these players, why are they playing together? Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's one of those things, and, and he didn't say, he didn't say, he said, we're not working with a blank canvas, but we are trying to figure out what works now. Because it is a different dynamic. Yeah. You, you, when you pull Martine out, you're just trying to get... Before he was a twenty-five minute game player, kind of around that number. Um, so when you when you're pulling him out of a game, you're spelling him, so you can kind of like just put someone in for his role in a two to three minute spurt and say, do this job, you know, execute this game plan, and then Martino come back in and right. do what he does. So yeah. it's it's a different type of it's a different role going forward now because you don't have Martin at all, and his skill set until Jacob Everson played the night. His skill set was impossible to replace by anyone that was not a redshirt. You know what I'm saying? Like yep. the the rim pressure, the rim running, the uh, the shot altering, blocking shots, the size down there, the ability to have a big man who can run the floor like that, um, and be a presence in ball screens, and you know make defenses have to guard north, south, and east, west when when that sort of action's going on. Um, so with Epperson in the mix. It does kind of bring some of that those dynamics back. Now he's not he's not as polished as Martine. He's not as conditioned as Martine. So it is going to be still a work in progress with in regards to the rotation. Uh, you know the rotations they use, but I mean that's kind of back now. They kind of right. have some. If Everson can stay healthy, get himself in game shape, they do have someone who can finish at the rim now again. Um, Someone who can box out a traditional five and isn't necessarily being forced to play out of position, which, which you know, will help Ronnie, which will help Toby, um, because they they were looking at a second half of the season of that could have possibly really worn them down physically, having yeah. to deal with bigger lineups. Yeah, especially Toby and Ronnie. Absolutely, yeah. Toby. I mean, his minutes were. I mean, you, you could barely walk tonight at the end of the at game. The end of the game. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know what? Martin Crumple made that lob play look so easy. Yeah. Setting the screen, rolling to the rim. He made it look so easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, his conversion rate had to be north of 90% on that. Because he was good. Because even when he wasn't dunking it, he was good at catching and, and finishing touching. with a layup. The touch was yeah. good. Like, he'd get it off the glass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And we saw Epperson. Right. I think he, he, right. he did. He got a dunk tonight, but it wasn't off a lob. It was off no, just it was an entry. Pass. And, they, and I, I think, think they just tried missed two, two lobs, lobs yeah. that he missed. One, Rodney dunked on top of him. So, like, that was Ronnie's bad. That was probably two. No, that was a that was a off the backboard. Oh, uh, off Marcus Smith. Yeah, right, that was right. a yes, offensive right. rebound right. that he had. Oh, yeah, so tip two, dunk chance. Yeah, but it's two more. By the way, they didn't dunk. credit Epperson with a shot on the tip dunk. You were very, ups- I, I'm very upset about, about that. that. He's one, one for four tonight. Technically yeah. one for three, uh, officially one for three, but in my mind one for four because he had a tip dunk chance. If he sets uh, the field goal, even though Ronnie, like you, beef at the end of his career. Excuse me, Rob. We need to go back and look at this. Um, Pull up synergy and. I mean, I blame Ronnie. He could have. Ronnie was there oh, yeah. with the defense. Yeah. Um, or or also also right? also going for the tip dunk himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it yeah. So they tried two lobs. I think one was Marcus Foster and, and Epperson ended up just trying to like tip it into the at the at the rim and maybe Ronnie had the other attempt. But it's like with Martin, you literally and it was the same thing with Justin. You could just throw it up there. Just anywhere. Yeah. Throw it up at the rim, and he will find a way to get it. He'll read it, the flight of the ball, jump up above the defense, grab it, and lay it in. And it, it made it look so effortless, but it's not that easy. And you saw with with Jacob Epperson, like, that's what happens when the guy who hasn't practiced in five weeks and has, hasn't had as many reps, nowhere near the amount of reps as Martin running that action, that yeah. play. Yeah. Um, how difficult it is, and so the more practice he gets, and the more time on the court, he'll um, obviously get better at it. But you know, if, if he's able to see his skill set, I mean, right? There's the potentials there. There's really good, two really, good, I mean, two or three really good box cuts on Govan tonight. Yeah, you're not going to face a better rebounder in the con- or in the conference. I mean, that's as good as it's probably going to get. Yep, and you know, it's all it's only going to be it's only going to be similar. It won't be any better. Um, two really, you know, two or three really good box outs. I thought he contested some good shots in the lane when guys were driving. Uh, and then pass in the in yeah in transition yeah really nice. I mean, we saw Davion, who was a point guard, not make that play and get an offensive foul right. by just he had Foster on his wing. He just ran over a guy and got a charge. Epperson, you know, the six foot eleven freshman center in his first game of the year of his career, you know, has the presence of mind to catch on the run and you know draw a defender, kick to Kyrie for an easy bucket. Like that's that was a really nice that was a really play. good that play. might have been his best play. Probably of the, on, the dunk at least was on easy. offense. Yeah, the so, dunk. Yeah. Um but yeah, apparently Epperson's a fan favorite now because oh, like man. the crowd wow. I, I, that was I was surprised by that. A standing ovation before he even had finished tucking in his jersey, I think. Yeah. Uh coming off the bench for his for his debut and then obviously the place went crazy when he Did they notice it. it when he when he came up? Yeah. I missed that. No, I no. only saw him sitting the by fans, the scores. Not everyone noticed, but you know, a decent amount did. They could hear some cheering mm-hmm. when he when he got up and sat down by the scorer's table and then, you know, whatever, thirty seconds later went in the game and the place went crazy. But uh, yeah, I think it was you know, you commend Jacob for being willing to um, essentially, sacrifice two thirds of a season because yeah, he, he was on two thirds of a lot of weight training and development that he probably could have really pushed hard at. Now right. he's got to be a little bit more smart about when he lifts and you know things like that. He said he's gained about twenty pounds. He looks like it. Yeah, but he's probably going to lose <laughs> lose a fair amount yeah, of weight over the next. I'll, you know, I wonder how much of that is the out of shape weight. I do. I'm curious because I think it's just natural. There has though. been he has been in the weight room, so right. I mean, some of it is. But I don't feel like twenty. I don't feel like he's twenty pounds more muscular in two months. You know what I mean? Yeah. From when he was when camp when they broke camp. You know what I mean? So yeah, you're right. Some of that is is bad way that's probably going to come off as as he practices. Which more. is just natural because you have it. He hasn't been conditioning. Like he hasn't been. Um, he hasn't even been in practice. Right. So now he's going to get himself back in shape and and. But the good thing for him and for Creighton is that they don't. I mean, the hope is honestly, I don't. I don't even think they they envision a scenario, at least in the near future, where he's playing more than like two minutes or three minute stints. How many rotations did he get tonight? I felt yeah, like I'd, have, I'd have to go back. Two or three, look. right? That's what it felt like to me. You know, I, I kind of think five is probably the max for this season, right? If he's, you know, you can probably. I think I still think thirty one minutes is high for Toby, so right. you'll pull back on that a little bit. Um, maybe have him more around the twenty-five minute mark, like you were with Martine, and maybe let Epperson uh, skew up the last fifteen, or right. or go or go with him. You know, have him make maybe, maybe twelve, or, and then go with a small lineup. Right, or, or so. yeah, maybe small lineup. Maybe 
maybe there's there's room for Manny Suarez to play. Um, maybe you're giving me a look like that went crazy. Yeah, I'm giving you a look like those days might be over. It's over type of deal. Yeah. Um, nothing against Manny. I just think Jacob's got a skill set that's. You know, first of all, it, it's. I'm not saying he's like a one and done or you know look out he's about to give you a lottery pick next year, but he is ahead of where Justin Patton was as a true freshman, and I think he's far ahead, um, just based on how Justin. I mean Justin, Justin never looked as a true freshman. He rarely looked like he could contribute in games the way the way Jacob did tonight. I mean, but yeah, unless you were literally handing him the ball with no one around him. You know where he could finish that type of deal. He he didn't like wow. I don't think he didn't wow m- me until the first day of practice his redshirt freshman year, and that was like that day was like that's a different animal right there. You know what I mean? It was just a totally different person, totally different player. Um, but I didn't feel like I didn't feel like if he sat out. I mean, maybe you can affect a game here or there because I know they just barely missed the NCAA tournament, and you go back and you look at that and. You know, how many games came down to just altering a shot, grabbing a rebound, finishing at the rim type of deal. Right. Um, maybe he could have changed the outcome of that season, but when you when when you think about what his develop where he was in his development, I didn't feel like they were making a mistake by redshirting him. Um, based on the way he was practicing, he f- it felt like he needed a redshirt year. But Jacob, you see why they need him. Don't you think? Like yeah, now right. without Martin, right? Right, right. Martin. Yeah, with Martin, if Martin was healthy, I don't think there would be any reason to push Jacob. Mm-hmm. I don't even think they would have considered bringing him for retro. Because I, I, what would he play essentially? You know, if Martin's getting twenty five, yeah, w- yeah, he, right. He's getting like two minutes yeah, or three exactly. minutes unless You're, there's foul trouble. Right, right. Um, I guess I brought up Manny though, just because of foul trouble. Okay, and the idea that you don't like, at this point with with Jacob as he's still working his way back into full strength. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Creighton wants to lean on him for a long, elongated stretches of time. Maybe, maybe he can. Maybe, maybe there is a path for him to do that down the road. But mm-hmm. in the immediate future, um, I, I think Manny Suarez still has to be ready and oh, um, no find a, find yeah. you know yeah. find sort of that groove and, and rhythm and confidence that he had earlier in the year. But yeah, I think. I think it was a necessary decision for Creighton. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did too. It, I mean, we both we both said uh, we both were watching him practice the other two days ago and thought that he's he going to play. Yeah. I mean, it had to it had to be good. done. He's too and, good and, to and not have he's, it. I mean, he's, he's too a, good. He that position, right? He's too good, and and this team has so has too much potential to right. to kind of put a cap on it at this moment and just right. say no. This is your ceiling is here, and and this is as far as we can go. I think Epperson not only gives him a little bit of hope, but it also there's tangible evidence and reason for optimism um, because of what his potential and, and the impact that he can make and mm-hmm. um, the op- or the uh, his ability to replicate some of the things that Martin Crumple did. I agree. Sorry that we kind of got sidetracked on your question there. Um, yeah, I think that I think I think it's. But I mean, just on the offense, I, I my opinion, I think it's it's going to look more like it did once he, as, as he gets even better. Game shape. He, he's gonna he's gonna present a lot of the same problems that Martin did in terms of the pressure he puts on the rim offensively. Do I think he's gonna be as good defensive rebounding guy as Martin this year? I really don't. But I mean, I could see him having some seven point six rebound games, and that's gonna help them. That's gonna help them. Right. That's. I don't think they would have gotten that from anyone else right. at that position. So. And I, and I do think it would have. And I do think by the time they got to ga- time to win some really important games, I mean they're third place in the Big East. Like they're going to be playing some high leverage games against the teams they need to be playing them against. You know they have Villanova twice, Xavier once, Butler once, uh, Marquette twice, Marquette twice. Yeah. I mean they, you know, they're not out of the thing yet. They, I know everybody thinks Villanova's going to be crowned again, and they might be. But you know they lost Phil Booth. They have six, essentially six players that they trust. They yeah. use like they're gonna, right. you know, maybe but Creighton, but Creighton maybe was seven. gonna maybe seven, Cray, maybe they, seven. They got Cray, Gillespie back. Creighton was gonna wear down at the end of the season if they had to, right? If they had, ride if they had well, it's the second straight game that they've their starters have played. Four starters have played um, thirty plus minutes, and Mintz played twenty seven today, and he played twenty six against mm-hmm. St. John. So that the majority of your minutes are the starters. And the other thing that you know 
becomes pretty apparent is just the 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 pressure i guess you could say or maybe the the need for creighton starters not like not only are you on the floor but you can't i mean the jays are so reliant on those guys like foster and kyrie thomas um toby to produce i mean you can't you can't just you can't be on the floor and maybe take a couple breaths to exhale mm-hmm. their um, minutes have to be productive minutes yeah. yeah and you're maxed out you have to be because mm-hmm. um you know creighton at this point as Tyshawn Alexander and Mitch Ballack still kind of grow into their roles and, and adjust to the speed and everything that comes along with playing in the Big East. Mm-hmm. Like, they just, they're, Creighton's not getting much, hasn't gotten much production off his bench since, since uh, Martin Crumple got hurt I'm and Ronnie, Ronnie entered the starting rotation. So, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's there's so much. They're relying so heavily on those on those starters, like to add a, a piece like Jacob Epperson, and potentially, um, you know, in two or three weeks down the road, um, if he's able to kind of keep building on and expanding his role, uh, it'll it'll pay dividends in more ways than just him. Just when you look at the stat sheet, and like, oh, he scored four four points, but his ability to just be on the floor and be a threat, um, mm-hmm. I think, will it'll aid. The it'll, 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 it'll trickle down. Yeah, yeah, trickle down. I think, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because the stat that I kept watching all night and I'm like, I can't believe this is how it's transpiring. Uh, there was two, but they're clumped together in the stat broadcast. So it's bench points and points in the paint. If you told me before the game that Georgetown was going to outscore Creighton's bench 30 to five, and that Creighton was going to outscore Georgetown in the paint 28 to 22, I'd be like, how and why? <laughs> Please explain to me how that's going to possibly happen when Georgetown is essentially a two-man show and they're like one maybe guy gets nine tonight and, you know, the other ones are not good. And then Peyton, and then Creighton's going to outscore them in the paint with no paint presence whatsoever. Right. Like, against Derrickson and Goman and all those guys. Like, I, I just wouldn't have that, – those that stat blows me away every time I look at it. And it's it, I watched it throughout the entire game and I'm like, I can't believe this is what's happening. Um, yeah. But, I mean, Georgetown's bench was crazy good tonight. I mean – Javon Blair, 21 points. Um, he was essentially camping out from three. and I thought, you know. He, what, was, he was feeling it. Yeah. He was in, I mean, so Georgetown in the second half, like, I can't re- wait to rewatch this, but I feel like they were running. I don't even know what offense it is. I don't, I'm not well-versed enough into basketball to know what it is, but, like, they were running stagger, double stagger screen, screens on one end of the court, which basically means, like, um, there was a uh, an off-ball guard who was getting – Screen for twice mm-hmm. away from the ball, so uh, away maybe, from the action, right? Really. Away, yeah, so you know the ball handler is over on on the right side of the court, but on the left side of the court, you got um, a, a guard running through two big men who are setting screens to try to free up um, that guard, and then they run it again with another guard, and then again with another guard. Like they were constantly running Creighton's, like Marcus Foster, Davion Mintz, uh Kyrie Thomas, whoever was guarding. Um, Georgetown's perimeter players threw off-ball screens over and over again. And, mm-hmm. and at times, Georgetown's guards would pop out for threes. At times, they'd curl off the second screen and dive down, uh, or maybe they'd catch the ball and immediately dribble down into the lane for a bucket. Um, it was kind of creative. I don't know. Like I, I haven't seen that. I love Patrick Ewing. I love the stuff. <laughs> you, you're I, you're, you're a does, big fan? He does not have the horses to get this thing done, but I'm yeah. telling you, I just the way... The, first of all, the things he demands out of his players, like he really cracks a smile. He's very, very. You can see he's a disciplinarian. You can see that he's not going to stand for the silly stuff, um, bad shots, bad turnovers, things right. like that. Like he wants his team to be aggressive, but smart aggression. Same way, I see a lot of the same way that Mac coaches them. You know what I mean? Like he, Mac doesn't like the silly stuff. Like he wants you to make simple plays. He wants you to be aggressive but be smart. Like the, that's the that's the dilemma every single season with the style they play. And I feel like Georgetown is emulating some of that stuff, and I think it's a very modern way to coach and play and develop the game. Um, and you see it more and more as with with the teams that are all successful in the NBA and college. And I really like what I'm seeing out of Patrick Ewing in year one. I mean, first of all, going from watching a St. John's game to a Georgetown game, everybody tries to make the comparison that Georgetown made a vanity hire just like St. John's did. I'm shaking my head like my head's going to fall off. Like, no. <laughs> there is a jarring difference in the way those two teams are coached and play. Strategically, you see it. The X's and O's look entirely different. Yeah. I, 
I think Georgetown's going to be a top of the league team going forward. If 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 Patrick Ewing can can you know get the recruiting at the Division One level figured out, uh, maybe find some guys that he can bring on his staff that can do that you know heavy lifting for him and bring in some some top flight talent. I think they're going to be back where everybody thinks they should be in um, in the Big East pecking order. That's just I know that's a big picture <laughs> takeaway from a game that you know probably had a bunch of guys play out of their minds. Um, they won't do the rest of the year, but right. Um, I, I just I just like what I see. I guess I don't know. So I, don't, I, got, what, what, I, I mean, what do you? I, well, I had them. So they scored. I think one, two. So eight of ten, ten, ten of thirteen possessions from the. Is that the first half? Second half from okay. the thirteen minute mark to the six minute mark. Okay. Oh, when uh, they got back in the game and got themselves back in the game, and. A lot of I just thought they were really creative, and like you said, kind of had that right mix of knowing when to attack and, and when to sort of too. Like we talked about the minutes of this division, look at 28, 28, 26, 28, 26, 26, 22, 4, and 12. He's got like essentially a roster of I mean, he doesn't have a lot of talent on this roster, but he, he uses it very creatively. Yeah. Like, he make you know, he, he uses guys the same way, whether you're in whatever role you're in on the floor, he uses you the same right. way. That you that he would your replacement, you know and what I, mean? I think they only that, so they only had six turnovers in the second half, and I think three of them came in the final three minutes yeah. of the game. Yeah, um, we need to talk about that because yeah, let's just talk about wrote, the close. Let's you know, just you, talk about yeah. You wrote about you wrote about it after the St. John's game. It was a, it was almost an exact replica of Creighton, and so Creighton has done this. Here's the thing that will be the challenge for the Jays now is can they figure out a way to close against the elite teams? Sure. That'll be the question, um, especially in this month of February when a lot of games are probably going to go down to the wire. But they now for the second straight game, um, you know, you don't want them to, to throw away a lead and maybe they deserve a little – they do deserve some credit for building that lead and having some cushion late to, to play with. Mm-hmm. But they did have to for two game, two games in a row now albeit against lesser teams, but they did have to find a way to win. And on both in both of those games they did it um with some they found a way to get stops defensively. It was more apparent tonight. They had three straight stops when when Georgetown cut it to one, Kyrie Thomas's uh we can re- recount that again in a second, but so they had those three stops and then at St. John's I think it was like a four possession stretch where they got three stops. Mm. Um, and coincidentally, by the way, at St. John's, during that stretch of four possessions, Creighton also turned the ball over three times. Uh, it was a seven-point game, I think. Mm-hmm. Turned the ball over three point, or three times in a row. So they weren't able to so, touch it away. Right. They yeah. could have put it away, but they also didn't allow it to get to, like, one point. Right. Because they, they stiffened just at the right time defensively. Marcus Foster hits a jump shot, extends the lead back to seven. St. John's still makes the push, but Davion Mintz makes the clutch, free throws to steal it, and then... On yeah, Saturday against Georgetown, it was like similar where Creighton, the three stops, did what they needed to do. wasn't exactly pretty on offense, but they stretched the lead to six mm-hmm. and then made the free throws down the stretch. But defensively, you noted there's, there's those three yeah, let's possessions. Break, let's, let's break it down. Like, phenomenal so by Creighton there. 71-70 uh, with 3.32 to go. Georgetown had just cut it to one for the second possession in a row. Yep. Creighton hit a three to go up four. Georgetown answered. Creighton hit another one. To go up for Georgetown answer. So 71 70 with 332 to go. Over the next three minutes, Georgetown had five possessions. Uh, first one, turnover by Blair. That's the pick six with, with Kyrie reading the, the action with uh, Pickett coming off on the wing. Picked it off, took it down, laid it up, and one hit the free throw for a four point play or three point play. Second possession, uh, Derrickson posting up Kyrie on the low block. Kyrie, you know, stays solid, takes, uh, absorbs the contact, uh, contests the fadeaway jumper, forces the miss, grabs the rebound um, for stop number two. Stop number three, turnover on Govan. That was where Ronnie fronted the post from the wing on Derrickson, uh, stayed solid as Derrickson was kind of backing down. They used the high-low action that Ronnie read. Govan threw the lob. Ronnie was in position, um, got up, contested it, Deflected it to Toby for another turnover. Side note: I think they ran that play earlier in the game. They probably they probably ran it more than once, but right. I think they ran it and got a layup on Ronnie yeah. early in the first half. And Ronnie said he he noticed they were starting to do that, so he knew it was coming. Oh, you talked to him about it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so he knew so it was coming. He knew it was okay. coming on that play, and he knew so it was a smart move. He knew him. how to you know he knew if you and you if you watch the replay, he actually starts to when when Derrickson goes into the low post after Ronnie was fronting him, Ronnie actually goes behind him to play post defense 
And then once he sees the ball go to Govan, he sees he notices the high low is coming. Yeah. So he goes back to fronting. He spins around Derrickson to front him again and then deflects the lob um, to Toby for the turnover. Then Derrickson gets a bucket um, on the next possession, on their fourth possession. So, so far we're at two points and two turnovers through four possessions. And on the fifth possession of that three-minute stretch that pretty much iced the game was Pickett blowing by Toby. Um, who was having trouble um, moving around with that ankle, starting to bother him. Um, Pickett blows by him, goes to the rim, but Toby has you know just enough, just enough bounce, enough energy, enough push in that thing to recover. I thought he blocked the shot; he didn't get credit for it, but it looked to me like he got a piece of it. Um, he certainly alternated it because Pickett short armed it, uh, pretty much stuck it into the rim. Yeah, it was like um, a layup. Yeah, it was, it was an uncontested yeah. layup, essentially. Well, but contested because Toby, made, Toby Yeah, yeah, there. right. right. He, he got he recovered, and I thought he blocked it, but they didn't give him credit for it. Um, so that was stop number four in a five-possession yeah. stretch over three minutes. So over the, over the three-minute stretch, two points, two turnovers uh, in five possessions, and Creighton turned a 71-70 lead into an 80-72 lead. Um, with 35 seconds left, so I mean, that's how you close out a game. That's how you. That's yeah. how. That is how teams that go deep in March close out games. Right. And so now, because they've done it now twice against, twice this last week, basically mm-hmm. against St. John's, although they had a bigger cushion against St. John's, but still, I mean, it's, it's, uh, that game when it's a five point game, it's one possession. You give up one more bucket in it, and you ne- who knows what's going to happen. We and saw so, it was Providence, right, Toby. Toby short arms the oh, right. because layup. Yeah, Jalen Z bangs a three. It's a five point spot right, yeah. ball game, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's they're that da- yeah down four with what? How much time was left in that? Two and a half, maybe. I yeah, think when he when he so missed that, Toby had a an open layup and missed it, and then yeah, you're right. Instantly, Jalen Lindsay is wide open for a three in transition mm-hmm. as a response after the missed shot, and it's. A five-point swing, yeah, and that that's ball game. Goes from four to seven, right. and it's over. But yeah. if if Toby hits it, it's a two-point game. There's still pressure on Providence to deliver. The fans are getting a little Crazy antsy. Defense and is set on the other end of the floor. Set defense. Yeah. Um, so those are the little things. So yeah, that's the thing is Creighton has done it now against Georgetown and St. John's, two teams that are at the bottom of the standings. Absolutely. So they got to bottle it up and do it against some of the um, the better teams they're going to face. No, no better one to test it against than next, right? Nova. Yeah. Is Nova going to get Marquette? Uh, you think they're going to? I don't know. What... It's going to be an interesting game because they don't have Booth. Yeah, and that's obviously you don't. If you do, if you're going to play Marquette, you don't want to lose a guard because you feel like you're going right. to be in a shootout. And it was kind of a shootout in Philly. I think it was 100 to 90 was the final. And Howard had 37. Yeah, to follow up his 52 point game. Um, so I, yeah, it's Villanova doesn't doesn't have an easy one tomorrow. Um, so Creighton's going to get an extra day. Um, the game's at the Wells Fargo Center. It's different. I know we're kind of switching into... Oh, did you have any more on Creighton Georgetown before we get into the... No, no, no. We, can look, we can look ahead. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it's at the Wells Fargo Center. Creighton hasn't played there since the Throggy bombed it, I guess I could say, right? Throggy. I mean, that was the 23-pointer game where, where Creighton essentially blew Nova out twice. Once in the first half, once in the second <laughs> half. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, so they're playing. They're not at the pavilion anymore. I've always, I've made, I've theorized that that's a disadvantage to Villanova this year, not having the pavilion versus Wells Fargo Center. I think just having an NBA arena. I mean, even Creighton deals with it. They haven't dealt with it this year. They've taken care of business at home. But I mean, teams get can get comfortable here, and it's hard to shake their rhythm once they do, because it's not. I don't know. There's something about shooting in arenas like this that they feel like shooter gyms. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. Well, and the, but the thing is, is like Nova. Um, yeah, there's different sight lines, and and there's if if the gyms feel different when yeah, the, like students being on top of you, yeah. this you don't want to have that problem. So. But Nova hasn't really. I mean, everyone talked about it going into the year, but mm-hmm. so far Nova's been just fine. Yeah, they kicked the they kicked the crap they are, out of Xavier. They were rolling teams. I mean, Providence hung with them for like ten minutes, and then it was like a twenty-four to two run game over. Yeah, uh, George uh, that Georgetown game was at Georgetown. Never mind. Mm-hmm. But that was a. Yeah, they've handled themselves just fine. I don't know if it's going to be as uh, – maybe maybe as the season wears on. Uh, but to me, the only – Villanova's only weakness is depth mm-hmm. and, uh, and durability. That, and it was, the, it was a weakness last year, and it really did. In my opinion, it showed up at the end of the season, but not until the tournament, <laughs> the yeah, NCAA right, tournament, right, right. unfortunately for the rest of the league. But because uh, they battled through it, they're, real, they're such a mentally tough team. Um, that they were able to f- to fight through that, 
but it'll be again a question with this group now um uh, because they like you said six six seven man rotation whatever you want to whatever you want to call it um they are extremely versatile four or five players that can shoot the three really well like 40 plus percent well like those guys are good yes um and they're one of the though they're from an efficiency standpoint defensively they're a top defic- they're the top defense in the league um they just have length and they know how to help one another and it's going to be a real really big challenge but i will say that um from a matchup standpoint it doesn't that's what i'm curious it, about because because now who like you have essentially you have essentially it, it doesn't a, a matchup where you mikhail bridges and Kyrie thomas are the two best defenders in the league mikhail bridges is going to guard marcus foster right who is Kyrie thomas going to guard Probably Jalen Brown. It has to be Jalen Brown, yeah. doesn't it? I mean, probably. He, it's not. A, it's not and, a matchup that he can't. And handle. I would we, say Ronnie probably has to draw, to guard Mikael Bridges. On um, yeah, right. Um, but I guess what I when I look at it from from like when we're breaking down one on one, okay, Marcus has the guard. Because um, it is about matchups, right? Marcus As has Thompson the guard. Even even Chenzo or. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I look at it, it doesn't. If I'm a Creighton fan, it doesn't scare me as much as Xavier. Because when you look at how Xavier matches up, you're like, uh-oh. They're... And then they they keep bringing more guys off the bench. Like, how, yeah. how is Creighton going to handle this? Mm-hmm. Um, I think from a matchup standpoint, it sets up a little bit better for Creighton. I do too. Um, but... But the execution <laughs> nope. is different. Yeah, exactly. We're talking about different... When we're talking about matchups, we're not talking about the... The execution of it is how Villanova beats you. Yeah, because they're just so fundamentally sound. Yeah, they don't really do anything crazy complicated. And here's the thing: is I bet that there have been a lot of teams that have gone in looking at Villanova's roster and the way that they're made up. It's like, oh yeah, we match up pretty well against this team. Like we can we can hang in here, mm-hmm. and then suddenly it's again like one of those. Providence was one that feels like they right. match up well with Villanova. Like yeah, they have size down low to to to, to handle Reynolds and or Pascal and Spellman. Um, you know, Cartwright, Brunson, you can argue that they're two of the top point guards in the league. That kind of washes itself out. You know, Bullock and Lindsey are two matchups that probably Villanova has a problem with because you, you can only make Bridges take away one of them. Um, and then the other one, you're dealing with a physicality mismatch. So, And it looked like, you know, in the first five or six minutes, it looked like, yeah, Providence is kind of a bad matchup for Villanova. And then all of a sudden, here comes Providence starts turning the ball over, Villanova gets hot. You know, they just they just beat you with the fundamentals. Like, but from a matchup standpoint, it's not. I don't think it's far fetched to say that Creighton matches up well in most of the areas that they need to match up well, and it's all. It's, it's going to all come down to the execution of those fundamentals. Can they be shot fake sound? Because you know when we're going to watch these practices coming up here, they're going to have three of them. I mean, everything's going to be shot fake sound. Like, do not leave your feet. All right. For some guys, it should be easy, but you, it's not. It's like Toby's going to leave his feet and. There's going to be moments where Mac is like, what are you trying to block shots for? Like, stay on. You'll see, we're going to see it. And it's one of those things, like, can Creighton burn that into their into their brain enough to be ready for all the things that Villanova tries to make you do to, to beat yourself? Right. And that's what it's going to come down to, I think. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. But, I like, like I said, I think Kyrie Thomas is going to be a tough guy for, for Villanova to defend. I think Toby Hegner is going to be a tough guy for – for Villanova defend, to defend with his ability to pop out and hit shots. Like, extending a five-man out to guard Toby Hagner is not an easy task. I'm, I'm very curious to see how Nova, because I didn't get to watch the Marquette-Nova game first the time. first time on Sunday when they play. Obviously, we're recording this before that game takes place. Like, I'm, I'm really curious to see how Marquette attacks them. Um, they have two dynamite scorers on, on the perimeter, uh, their di- their games are different than Marcus and Kyrie, but that that element of two guys that you have to corral. How does how does Villanova try to uh, bottle those guys up, and how does it deal with a guy like Sam Hauser who mm-hmm. can set screens and pop and bury three pointers? So yeah. uh, there might be a little bit of a blueprint for Creighton that Marquette lays out. I mean, Marquette beat him last year, um, found a way they got hot at home, obviously. But um, I think I think the Jays have a shot, but. Um, a lot of things have to go right. <laughs> a awesome. lot of things have to go right. No question. When you beat when you when you beat Villanova, that a lot of things have to go right. I mean, historically, the losses they've sustained in conference play have come down to that. With the when you look at Butler beating them this year, hit fifteen threes. Yeah. When you look when the, when the, when the Jays smashed them in Philly, it was like twenty threes. And then yeah. the second time, 
Villanova took away all the threes and gave him the lane, and Doug had 39 like that way. So right. like, the, for you have to have a spectacular performance to beat them. That's just historically that's what it's been. Yeah, they had they just don't they don't beat themselves. You know what I mean? You have to do something out of the norm. You know, it has to be one of those games that stands out as one. When when coaches talk about what's the you're gonna play five games out of your mind, um, 25 like you are, and then five like really bad. To beat Villanova, you has to be one of your five extraordinary games. Yeah. That's just the bottom line. That's how good they are. So that's what it's going to take for for Creighton to upset them, I think. You going to go out there? I'll be out there. When are you leaving? I'll leave on Wednesday and enjoy the uh, the Philly area. I kind of like going on to Villanova's campus. It's The campus is set in the suburbs. Okay. Um, away from the city. So... I think it was probably like a 30-minute train ride out there. Um, but you know, they're playing in the uh, NBA arena downtown, so mm-hmm. it'll be a much different feel and you know, probably for great. The one thing I'm interested in is what, the, what is the crowd going to be like? I thought I read somewhere or saw a tweet somewhere where they only got eight or 9,000 in for the Providence game. Really? Um, which is obviously disappointing for the number one team in the country. Yeah. But I mean, it, it does kind of underscore the point that you made earlier about the um, – Maybe the disadvantage of not playing in the pavilion. It hasn't caught up to them yet, mm-hmm. uh, but perhaps whether they're playing, um, you know, Seton Hall or Creighton or whoever they're playing at in that arena, maybe that opponent won't be as intimidated, um, or or even Villanova won't be as energized as they would have been um, in the pavilion because it's they were just really tough to beat. Just because they're good enough to beat you anywhere, it doesn't matter the venue. Yeah, that's really what it comes down to. So like. Even when, even if it is a disadvantage to Villanova to play in the Wells Fargo Center, you still have to be. You still, you still have to play really well. To play well. Like, yeah, that's the yeah. bottom. Like, yeah, forget whether they're at a disadvantage or not. They, it doesn't matter where they're playing. They're they're really they're one. Of, I mean, they're probably the, the most consistent basketball team over the last four years in Division One. Don't you think? I mean, the powers are the powers, but as far as as far as how consistent it's either been, them or North Carolina, right? Yeah, it, those it, are the two best programs of the last four years right. in, in college basketball. I agree, I, I agree. Maybe Virginia has a claim, but they haven't made the Final Four mm-hmm. during that they, Yeah, they, they so, don't really make yeah. a run, right? Um, I'd probably give the nod to North Carolina, just back-to-back title games. but Sure. Um, Even though Villanova's got a head-to-head, they'd argue they, they got the, the head-to-head. They had the head-to-head and probably the best, they have the better record overall, right? right. Like, they're just piling up the wins right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and North Carolina's kind of struggling this year, so they have a leg up on them this year for sure. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's probably enough on uh, Creighton Georgetown and Creighton Villanova coming up. Um, we touched on Epperson a lot. Did we miss anything? I guess we didn't really talk about Marcus. <laughs> Marcus, well, at Marcus at twenty-eight. What a boring twenty-eight for yeah, Marcus Foster. Like. Four games in a row with twenty-plus points. I mean, do something. Do something else, Marcus. I mean, yeah, score I mean, thirty, seriously. and then maybe we can we can discuss. You know, it's yeah, like twenty-eight. So, it's whole home. So, you know, go for forty or something. <laughs> right? we'll do, maybe we'll talk about you next time. Um, no, but I mean pretty much all you can dissect from this one. I mean, it's a game that Creighton needed to win because you don't want to lose to Georgetown and then go to Villanova and then come home to Xavier. Yeah. Like, that's... If you're going to... If you're going to... There's DePaul if you're gonna between, start with by that, the way, but... Oh, there is? DePaul's okay. in between Nova and Xavier. Road game at DePaul. Oh, that's right. You're right. So, uh... But still. But, yeah, you don't want to get this stretch off. You don't want to start the second half of conference play with a loss to what probably is the eighth or ninth best team in the league. Right. You know what I mean, so... It was, and, it was and important at home, just to, and at home. It, right. It, those losses at home sting yeah. more this year because of the way the committee is going to look at it than they have before. And to lose to a team that is not going to make the tournament at home is that would that would be a blow. So Creighton's done a good job of. I feel like this team this year, um, more so than last year, especially once Maurice went down last year, is like this team has played with an incredible amount of energy and enthusiasm at home like they have jumped on teams early and found a way to win games late they fed off the energy of the crowd multiple runs together big big runs yeah Yeah. which i know like the the fans have been i thought i think the fans have really been engaged um this season yeah seton hall i thought was a really good crowd i thought Uh, second half of st john's was really good st john's second half for sure Um, so it's been i think the the players have really fed off that mm -hmm. and uh Obviously, they they got they still got two huge home games left with with Nova and, and Xavier. Possibly a third huge one with Marquette. 
depending on what happens. Because mm-hmm. I think Marquette's what four and four in league play right now, so they're that sounds are right. They four and four. Yeah, they're four and four, aren't they? So they're kind of like two games behind everybody, really. Yeah. In that top of the order, top of the pecking order type of deal. And if they get if they get their second half started with a win over Villanova tomorrow, that's that that springboards them. Exactly, and um, that's the one thing that Creighton doesn't have. Yeah, Marquette's four and four. I think that's the one thing that Creighton. The resume is lacking right now. Is one of those like elite wins. They got Seton Hall at home. Um, Seton Hall's got to get. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think they will, but we'll see. Um, but the, yeah, they need more. So mm-hmm. um, there, there's next Thursday. Yeah, no, but there's that, there's a chance. Thursday, sure. Good luck. Okay, well, um, I'm sure I'll see. You. We'll see. You. We'll see you at practice. But uh, safe travels out to Philly. Um, we will talk again for Xavier, right? Two-game road trip, Villanova to Paul, then Xavier on February 10th. Yeah, that's right. Wow. All right, so your next, your next Blue Jay beat will be February 10th against uh, Xavier. So far, uh, that'll be the true test of it, really, the first true test. Of, so far, we're, the Blue Jay beat is undefeated at home. So, Wow, um, that's right. So, yeah, the Xavier game will be the next one, next episode, February 10th. Uh, thanks for everyone to coming out the pink-out game. Um, it was a great crowd. It was a great atmosphere, a really fun game to cover. Um all your post-game coverage, go to Omaha.com, read John's work, uh, buy a newspaper, subscribe. To you guys got a new subscriber thing going on now? Hey, subscriber Plus, what's you the deal can, with that? Here's the thing. You can read Creighton stuff for free online right now. Really? I don't know if they're going to change that, but at there's this a little, moment... Are you saw, there's a little loophole in the... No. Trying to glitch in the system? Or? Right. At this, at this moment, Creighton fans can get all access to my stuff for free. But if you want to, if you like what you're reading get a subscription because um maybe the more in-depth stories that i write um the more uh, most of the stuff that tom chattel writes when he covers creighton steps over and, and writes about the jays he just wrote a story in saturday's paper about um greg mcdermott and the way that he's using big men um and sort of his infinity for patrick ewing all this kind of all yeah. that 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 um kind of the evolution of the a, of the big man of the seven foot yeah. essentially right um yeah you're gonna i mean it's not all it's not all uh you can't get everything for free but if you subscribe obviously we'd really appreciate that and Mm -hmm. but at this moment game coverage pre-game coverage is free so you you take advantage of that check it out facebook stuff right if you you like it if you like it you know throw some yeah the bottom the bottom bottom line is if you like the creighton coverage you gotta support the creighton coverage because that's how it's all it's like a cycle and then then you get more and yeah and then my bosses are happy and Exactly. And, uh, and and then I you make keep, John enthusiastic, and, and I can keep doing do it. it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so support me, and then support Matt. Yeah, exactly. Well. Then when you're done giving John all your money, just come over to White and Blue Review <laughs> <laughs> for the free content, and uh, until we get a subscriber system going, which probably never. But um, yeah, but you know where to find your day's coverage. So read John's stuff, check out our stuff at White and Blue Review. We'll have everything on this uh, Creighton Georgetown game, and then obviously. We'll uh, get you all set up for Creighton Villanova next Thursday. Um, so until February 10th for the Blue Jay Beat, we will talk to you um, in a few, what, is it weeks? No, we can Ten have. Ten days. We can uh, have. Uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. Have a good night, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.